Exploring Pluto and Beyond. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Alan Stern, author, planetary scientist, space program executive, and principal investigator of NASA's New Horizons mission. Welcome, Dr. Stern. Thank you, Tanya. Great to be here. Great to have you. Um, honored, in fact. So for our audience, give us a brief summary of your work in planetary science and in the aerospace industry in general. Well, I've just had a ball um, being in this business. Ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be involved in space exploration, and I got to grow up and live my dream. Um, I'm a, a physicist and engineer by training, took my PhD in astrophysics, and have been now on 29 separate NASA and uh, overseas mission teams, everything from suborbital missions to the space shuttle to the farthest exploration of worlds ever with New Horizons. And I've also been able to do some other interesting things. I spent some time down at the South Pole working for the National Science Foundation. Uh, I flew F-18s and other high-performance airplanes for about five years doing NASA research missions. For a couple of years, uh, in 2007 and 8, I ran NASA's space science program. And uh, I started a couple of companies, and I'm totally looking forward to the advent of commercial human spaceflight because through my firm, we've purchased three suborbital space flights to do experiments on, and I'm going to fly first. <laughs> As well you should. Among all of these many things, you co-authored the book, Chasing New Horizons, inside the epic first mission to Pluto. So start by describing the benefits that accrue to taxpayer, business owners, and the average Earthling, if you will, from missions like this. You know, I think that what we do in planetary exploration, and there's the book behind me, and, you know, New Horizons is, it's a one-of-a-kind mission in the 21st century. It's the only mission for our generation that could go uh, out to a brand new planet. And it captured the hearts of literally billions of people. It generates new knowledge that's in textbooks around the world. It's a kind of soft power projection for the United States. It shows, up, shows off what I think is some of the best in us. And it, it literally creates history. And it makes people feel good about the time they live in when a lot of the meme is, it's not so great now. And to see that we can do things like send a robot across the solar system and it's not sci-fi, it's for real and it all works. And then how much it has to teach us about nature when we see how spectacular a place like Pluto really is, what could top that? So tell us the story of the Pluto underground. Well, the Pluto underground was a, coin, a, a phrase we coined um, uh, when we were trying to get NASA first interested in spending the money to send a spacecraft to Pluto. And there had been a previous thing of young people called the Mars Underground. And when NASA was turned off to doing Mars back in the 1970s, uh, they helped turn the tide and create the great Mars exploration program we've had ever since. So we came along a generation later and said, let's do the same thing for Pluto. And we're not very clever with our English, so let's just call it the Pluto Underground. So we did it. And it turned out to be almost a nightmare because it was so hard and it took, it literally took 14 years to pull off what we needed to do just to get the mission funded. But that group of boys and girls didn't quit. 
And uh, in the end, we were completely successful in living our dream. On the topic of challenges, what was the biggest technological hurdle that we had to overcome to make this vision viable? Well, you know, I would say that um, we really stood on the shoulders of giants. That's kind of a hackneyed phrase, but it's true. In our parents' generation in the 60s and 70s and the 80s, you know, they pioneered how to do space flight uh, and they pioneered how to do interplanetary travel communications and navigation and the sensor technologies and everything else. And we really got to benefit from that. Um, there's very little new technology. It was modern technology in New Horizons, but we actually built it to avoid having to invent new things and be able to put all of the money into reliability and turning out just a spectacular set of data sets, you know, great sensors on board and um, uh, just a, a, a perfect flight plan to get us across the solar system. So it was a conscious decision to minimize that new technology development and take advantage of things that had already been done in the past. Um, the nuclear power, the way that we communicated. Um, maybe the most important new thing we did is that we automated our spacecraft with software to a degree that had never been done. So it hibernated most of the journey to Pluto and took care of itself and would only talk to us once a week and say, I'm fine or I'm not fine. And 99 times out of 100, it would be, I'm fine. But that allowed us to have a smaller budget for the flight control team and, uh, and to make this fit in the right size box to be affordable to NASA. No matter what assumptions that you hold at the beginning of the mission, you always get surprised by the end. So what surprises did New Horizons deliver? Well, I don't think there was any lack of surprises when we got to Pluto. I mean, all it was before we got there was a, a smudgy little fuzzy ball that Hubble could see because it's so far away. And then we got there and we just found the most amazing planet you could ever hope for with glaciers and avalanches and a beautiful atmosphere with fogs and hazes and clouds and five satellites and active geology and cryovolcanoes going and just, it was something for everyone scientifically. But you know, the other big surprise or, or discovery was how much people grooved on this because no one had done anything like this in a generation. Between 1989 when Voyager went to Neptune and 2015 when New Horizons got to Pluto, there was nothing in terms of let's explore a new planet. And it had been all those years and yet when New Horizons was exploring Pluto, billions of people followed it on the web. It was the Google Doodle. It was the cover of magazines everywhere. It engaged people. And over the past four and a half years since then, I've been on the speaking circuit a lot, given a lot of lectures, and so have a lot of people on our team. And they've consistently said how much people come up to them and say, you turned me on to a STEM career, or you saved my son, he was a slacker. And now he's a straight A student because he wants to do space flight. Or, you know, we are living in a great time. We do live in a country that can do things that are larger than life. And those kinds of stories, I think that was the biggest surprise to many of us, even more than the science, to hear how a group of nerds, engineers and flight controllers and scientists could deeply affect people and change their lives. And in some cases, you know, give them hope or give them resolve um, for their own future. 
it's a huge unanticipated benefit of this mission. That's and that should make you feel very good about the work that you're doing, Ellen. So, almost five years after its encounter with Pluto, the New Horizons spacecraft is, is still speeding deeper into space. Okay, so it's it's continuing to move forward. What else has the spacecraft discovered? Well, you know, just uh, just a year ago, on January first, twenty nineteen, um, we made the first ever flyby of one of these building blocks of planets like Pluto called Kuiper Belt object. And it's one that we have officially named Arakov, meaning the sky in the Powhatan Algonquin language. And uh, what we discovered is the way that planets are built. We really showed which of the theories is correct. And we have learned a great deal from that about how to navigate these small faint targets. This one was a billion miles beyond Pluto. Something so faint that even the Hubble could barely find it. And yet we could navigate to it in the darkness out there and do a very precise flyby, which means that we now know how to do that. We're looking for our next flyby target. And the odds are a little against this because as we go farther out, the targets get harder and harder to find. Um, but we're gonna be using the largest telescopes on Earth and maybe the Hubble too in the summer of 20 and the summer of 21. Uh, and we've got fuel on board, even more fuel than it took to do the flyby of Arakoth. And now that we know how to do that, I'm hoping that we get lucky and find something. Oh, you're going to. We'll I'm have sure. another flyby of an even farther away object and break our own record again. <laughs> I love it. A man that wants to break his own records. Dr. Alan Stern, author, planetary scientist, space program executive, and principal investigator of NASA's New Horizons mission. And oh, space geek and dad, I think too, right? So if somebody wants to connect with you, um, Dr. Stern, maybe they want to get a copy of your book or follow the work that you're doing. How can they do that? Well, local bookstores and Amazon, you can find Chasing New Horizons just by Googling it. Um, if you want to connect with me, you can either go to my website, which is supernerdyallenstern.space, or uh, you can go on Twitter. I'm just Alan Stern. That's all there is to it, A-L-A-N-S-T-E-R-N and uh, follow my Twitter feed. Thanks again, and thanks for joining us. And if you guys wanna find more of my interviews, you can do that right here, or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.